This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Welcome to Mom and Mind, where we dive into all aspects of perinatal mental health and wellness related to pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. It's so much more than postpartum depression. We raise the volume on all of these topics in the hopes that someday everyone will have the support and info that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. Thank you for joining us today for another moving personal story from pain to healing and all that happens in between. Esmeralda Cardenas is on with us today to share her personal journey and she is bringing another depth to our episode today by also sharing her cultural experience being a Latina woman in the United States, talking about some of the very specific cultural challenges, both within community, but also within herself, that added another layer of complexity to her postpartum depression and anxiety. Esmeralda is a bilingual licensed professional counselor in San Antonio, Texas. She's the owner and provider at Pillars of Counseling. More than being a mental health provider, she's a wife and a mother of two boys ages six and eight. And she experienced and survived postpartum depression and anxiety. She experienced and survived postpartum depression and anxiety with both of her children and then became an advocate and provider for parents experiencing perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Esmeralda came to the realization that she needed to own her story and overcome the many fears that came with her experience. Taking this step has allowed her to serve moms and dads in her community with an effort to decrease stigma and help parents know that they are not alone. Esmeralda is graciously sharing with us her story and some of the very specific pain points that she experienced along the way. I'm hopeful that in her sharing her story, you will also feel seen and heard. Let's welcome Esmeralda. Hey there, perinatal mental health professionals. Do you work alone in your office or find your practice isolating? Do you have a lot of perinatal mental health ideas and projects that you would love some support with? I've been finding that a lot of us have so many good ideas, but we're all working alone in a lot of cases, having to figure things out on our own and wondering what good next steps are. And we all really, really want to help perinatal families. So I've created the Mom in Mind Collaborative to have a space where you can bounce your ideas around get support from colleagues, and talk about growing your business, your projects, and your ideas that are all in support of perinatal families. If you're interested, check out the Patreon page for the Mom and Mind podcast and join at the $25 a month level, which gets you into the monthly meeting and supports the production costs of the podcast. That's a win-win. 
I hope you're able to join us. Go to patreon.com slash momandmind and sign up today. Welcome, Esmeralda. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, I am too for you to be here. And I had sent out a while back this call for people to share their stories. And now we're getting around to it. And you were one of the people who graciously offered your story to share on the podcast. So I'm really, really happy to have you on and specifically to be able to share some cultural aspects of this perinatal mental health journey. So I'd love to offer you to start wherever you'd like to start about your personal story. Okay, so yes, my story basically begins, I was about 23 years old whenever my husband and I found out that we were expecting our first child. Mm. We were about two weeks shy from our one-year anniversary, and we were not necessarily planning on having a child that soon, but you know, it happened, and at first, it was a very exciting moment that we were both going through. We were both really young, and we also are both from the Latino culture. We're both from Mexican descent, and that in itself came with a lot of struggles for us. Mm -hmm. When I went through my pregnancy journey with my first son, who is now, he's now eight years old, the pregnancy journey in itself was, I mean, I would say normal to what that means to me, and normal was I didn't have any complications. I was growing a baby and I was happy to grow a baby, but there were times when, you know, I was just ready for this baby to be born. Sure, right. <laughs> um, and when my first son was born, that's whenever I really started to experience a lot of challenges. He was breached, so I had to have a C-section, like a scheduled C-section. Mm -hmm. And... That was hard at the beginning yeah. to accept that there needed to be a C-section because in my culture, especially in my Mexican culture, you know, giving birth to a child naturally or vaginally is what is the most ideal. So that was a big challenge for me, but my mom had a C-section too. So I kind of felt like she empathized with me in going through that, but she obviously didn't want me to have it either. But because he was breech, it was something that the doctor preferred. And I also want to add to that, that growing up in the United States, for most of my life here, I was undocumented. So that really came with a lot of fear of authority. Sure. So even whenever my doctor mentioned that they wanted to do a C-section because the baby was breech, at that moment, I honestly have to say that I wasn't too educated and I wasn't entirely advocating for myself as much as now I know I could have. Mm. And mm -hmm. that really led to me feeling like there was this decision that was made that I agreed to, but I felt like I had to. Oh, gosh, um, right. So you said part of that was kind of the authority thing, like scared right. of authority thing, but then also not really knowing what your options were. Right, right. And at that point, it was a combination of the fears that I struggled with at that time with just authority right. figures, knowing my background as an undocumented person. Sure. And then in addition to that, you know, anytime friends or family asked, 
you know, when the baby was due or what was going to happen, then I was always very embarrassed to admit that it was going to have to be a C-section. And so I always kind of jumped into the explanation of why, right? Mm. And so honestly, having my baby be breech felt internally like a great excuse to be able Uh to say, this is what's going to happen because he is breech. So I struggled with that already just during pregnancy. And I think that that started to really trigger some anxious feelings. Soon after my baby was born, I did have my mom stay with me. My husband stayed with me. But I do remember that I had a hard time feeling like I was emotionally connecting with my son. Mm. And that was very difficult. In that time, I was also a therapist in training. Oh, that's a lot going on. Yes, it was a lot. I was going to school. I gave birth to him and then I took a break, but I was in training to become a therapist. And I think that that also came with a lot of pressure for me. I really felt like I couldn't tell anybody that I was feeling this way because I'm a therapist. I should know, right? I should (laughs) should have it all together. Mm -hmm. Why am I going through this? And then at the same time, honestly, trying to really juggle comments and stuff that people would make hmm. that were very painful. You know, about as, you or about what was going on for you? Yes. So initially, the first couple of memories that I have of things that happened were, you know, you're not a real mom because you didn't have a vaginal birth. Oh, no. And so that was very hard, especially when... Oh my gosh. You know, you're having a hard time connecting to your child in the first place. So that then added this pressure of like, why? Maybe because I didn't have a vaginal birth, I didn't have this awakening, right? As a mom. Yes. So I think that that just made it even worse. For sure. That must have felt horrible. It was pretty horrible. Yeah. This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy The Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of The Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. 
Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. That's a terrible thing to say to somebody. Yeah. And I think that, and I'm not trying to excuse that comment, you know, but I Mm -hmm. do know that culturally speaking, at some point in time and period in our history, it was normal to almost like say those things or oh, sure. So I tried my best to be able to not absorb those things. But I was in a very fragile state too emotionally, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't always easy. And so as my son grew up, it got worse. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I definitely began to experience symptoms of depression and anxiety combined in different Mm -hmm. ways. And so my day sometimes looked like I was a stay at home mom with my baby until he was 15 months old. And we would stay home. You know, he would normally wake up around eight o'clock in the morning, which, you know, was so happy about that. Mm But he would wake up around eight o'clock in the morning. We would stay in bed until about nine or 10. And then I would just move over to the living room and I would lay down on the couch and just watch TV until about 4.30, 4.45, which is when I knew my husband was going to be getting ready to leave work. And I knew about 5.30 for sure, like he would be home latest. So then I would just run to the kitchen wash the dishes that were in there. Mm -hmm. And that way, whenever he came through the door, he would every day would ask me, how was your day today? Or what did you do? Mm. And just to be able to give him an answer of productivity, (laughs) right? Yeah, I would just say, Oh, I washed dishes. And, you know, I wasn't able to do anything else because my son, you know, Mm -hmm. my son was a very He definitely needed me a lot. And now Mm -hmm. as a therapist working in this field, I definitely understand developmentally that what was going on with my son Mm -hmm. matched a lot of what was going on with me. Mm. And so, you know, there was a lot going on in our relationship with my son, but then also a lot that affected me with my relationship with my husband. Sure. Right. So you, I don't know, I'm just hearing the kind of, deep need to do nothing. Well, not nothing, but just like, you know, sometimes that the stuff around the home can be so overwhelming to deal with. It was so overwhelming. Right. Yes. But then that like guilt or shame or whatever, feeling like you have to do something. Oh, I can. Yeah. I can. Right. Right. And I think that it weighed a lot on me because my husband as well, like I said, we're both from Mexican background. So, you know, we grew up with this mentality that the wife is supposed to be keeping the house clean and Mm. having the meal when he comes home and all of that stuff. Even though we were both born here, our Mm -hmm. culture was still very much this way. Right. You know, my mom was like that to a certain extent and his mom, you know, has been like that too. 
Mm-hmm. So when he would come home and I even asked me that question, it was a big trigger. And so we yeah. would argue a lot right. because I felt like he was judging me. I felt like he felt that I wasn't good enough. And then on top mm-hmm. of that, I did feel the pressure. You know, I would look around my house and see that it was a mess. And I did feel like a failure, you know, wow. most days. And so that was always really hard. And then on top of that, like I said, being a therapist, just feeling like, how do I get out of this? Mm -hmm. But like you needed to figure it out on your own. Right, Uh right. And unfortunately, I never reported to, you know, my doctor or anybody that I was going through this. Yeah. Um, For the same reason, I was ashamed and embarrassed and just felt like I needed to figure it out on my own Mm. and almost like, well, this must be what everybody goes through. Right. And I think I slowly started to realize that it wasn't that way until I really started to pay attention to others around me, which was Mm. kind of like a double edged sword because there was that sense of comparison, but then there was that sense of, wait a minute, like, that mom enjoys being with their child. Why am I not enjoying mm-hmm. that? Right. So that started to really awaken some, an interest in me and understanding what was going on. But I will genuinely say that I was struggling with some rage as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, just depression. And then the anxiety of something happening to my son or something happening to me. Oh gosh! Um, so some intrusive thoughts in that sense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. through my journey as well. Yeah, and this is all kind of silently dealing with this. Nobody knew. Oh yes, nobody oh. knew. Uh-huh. Nobody knew. I would talk to my husband slightly, but I think that my frustration and my anger toward him had grown so much mm-hmm. that I was at a point where I remember vividly. You know, having to wake up in the middle of the night to feed the baby, change the baby. Mm -hmm. And that just looking at him and just being extremely upset and just mad at him while he's sleeping. Oh, sure, sure. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I don't know if you heard it, but like so many people just agreed with you. Like if they're not in your head right now. Oh, my. Yeah. Yes. It was so hard. And, you know, I replay some of these things and I think, you know, I just wasn't even in a space emotionally and mentally to even be able to tell him what was really going on because the anger that I felt toward him was so intense that when I did communicate with him, we would just fight, you know, and for a long time before we had kids, I really genuinely, my husband is a great person and really had a great communication with each other. We knew the kind of parents we wanted to be, how we wanted to raise our children, but nobody prepared me for that moment when I realized I was not being the parent that I thought I would be. Right. And then you're yeah. dealing with it all on your own Yes. and not able to communicate. Yes. But I don't know if you experienced this, but a lot of people also feel like Almost like I, I'm not saying I'm struggling, but can't you see like, why won't you just do the things that help me and make me feel better? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even with that, I grew up in my faith my entire life. And, you know, God is certainly someone that is very, very important in my life. And I definitely felt like my spiritual life struggled 
I really was really upset at my church as a whole. I remember just being so upset. And, you know, again, I wasn't asking for help, but I was upset. I was just like, why isn't anybody checking in with me? Yeah, You know, all of these things. And so, like you said, I definitely struggled with a lot of these things by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, a lot of it also just because I was extremely terrified to tell anybody everything that I was feeling. Right. Oh, so a lot of those feelings prevented you from telling people. Was there a specific thing you thought that they would say or think about you if you told them? Yes, I definitely was afraid of judgment, you know, just because I know that culturally speaking, there was an expectation as to how we need to mother. And then there was an expectation also in a spiritual realm, in a faith-related realm of the kinds of moms that we need to be. And Mm -hmm. so I didn't feel like I was that mom. You know, I was yelling at my kid. I wasn't interacting with him. He had a speech delay because I was not interacting with him. You know, I felt like I wasn't reading my Bible every day and I wasn't reading to him and all of those things that were just constant mental reminders in me that were telling me, like, if you tell anybody, they're going to say, oh, well, it's because you're not studying your Bible enough, or you're not praying enough, or what's wrong with you, and, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. So the idea of the judgment really weighed me down a lot. Yeah. And like I said, it's sometimes those subtle things that people make comments about that kind of reiterate these almost like lies that we tell ourselves, because I knew Mm -hmm. there were people out there that were going to be understanding of me, but I didn't see it in that moment. Yeah. You know, so when my son turned 15 months old, I finally told my husband, I can't do it anymore. And we enrolled my son into daycare. And I remember very, very vividly at one point, somebody was making a comment within my church and said, you know, it's just who would ever in their right mind put their son or kid to be taken care of by somebody else they don't know? You know, when they were referring to like childcare and all of that stuff, right, right. you know, and that really weighed very heavy on me because that was exactly what I was doing. Um, Was that a comment directed at you or you overheard it or? I overheard it and they were having a conversation with someone, but I took it very much like that's me, you know, and so it was very hard. I mean, the guilt that I experienced from taking my child to daycare was so difficult. Mm. But my husband, you know, in a place of, we need to do what's best for you. And you need a little break from him Mm -hmm. to be able to take care of yourself. We opted for that. Right. So at Um, that point, around 15 months, did you mm -hmm. tell your husband that a little bit more about how you were doing? Yes. About upon him turning a a year old is whenever he finally, you know, just said what's going on um, because he just noticed it wasn't getting any better. Right. So at that point, I think he just really wanted to know what was happening with me. And I, at that point, I think I finally verbalized to him that I didn't want to be a mom. And that was very hard for him to hear. It was very hard for me to say. Sure. And 
it was just embarrassing, you know, because I felt like that's not the way I needed to be feeling. And so I think that in his way and trying to support me, he said, well, why don't we just do this part-time? So we enrolled our son part-time just so that I could have some time, you know, for myself, but then also have him interact with other kids because like I said, for that time, I wasn't really interacting with anyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that that's when the speech delay or around that time is when there was a speech noticed. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, about what was it about two years later, we then were expecting our second son. And I I was already terrified. I already thought, oh, this is going to happen again. But I wanted to have another baby just so that my son wouldn't be alone. Mm -hmm. And we ended up, you know, getting pregnant and we had him, my, and he's now six years old. Mm -hmm. And I did experience the same types of symptoms, but this time around with my second baby, it was slightly different because I went back to work right away, um, which again, also came with its own struggle sure. um, because then there was that guilt of going to work and not being with my baby. Right. And I think from what I, my memories and everything that I know about that journey in itself, I know that I was a lot more anxious. Um, the second time? The second time mm-hmm. than I was depressed. Mm-hmm. I think that going back to work really helped to keep me busy and it gave me a different type of meaning. Um, and purpose that that is really when I started to really focus on when I came home, I wanted to be present for my kids. And Mm -hmm. so this is when I think my story really started to change. I was also practicing as a therapist already. So I had also a different perspective. Yeah. But it was still hard regardless. Sure. And so in between kids or or when you kind of figured out what was going on, did you get any kind of professional help or were you kind of trying to figure it out on your own? In between both of them, I did see a counselor, but it wasn't necessarily tied to what I was experiencing postpartum. Uh And I think that just because I didn't necessarily go in with that intention, because in my mind, I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm working through it, you Mm -hmm. know? Sure. But in reality, it wasn't, I have definitely seen the effects of not getting it treated Mm. and go, you know, that healing process really taking much longer. Yeah. Because the anxiety really kept just kind of rolling with me. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. So the help that you did get was supportive, but not specifically for the mental health stuff. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Just there was just so much in addition to the postpartum struggles that I was having, there were a lot of additional things like family related issues. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that in reality made all of this, I think they were a big factor that contributed Mm -hmm. to this continuing for longer. Yeah. But I honestly, in that moment in time, I didn't tie two and two to like one and one together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to notice. It's really hard to notice and be aware of all of the things that are affecting you when you're in something already. Yes. Yes. That's a lot. You know, and I think at some point in, like I said, when I started to realize, okay, 
something's going on. I need to work on myself. I was in a different period of my motherhood. I was in a different almost like stage, but Mm -hmm. I was still experiencing a lot of anxiety. Um, Even with my children as toddlers, I think that's whenever I think the anxiety just took a different turn. Uh, For the the better or... No, oh, just not became for different. The better. Oh, be, okay. Right. Got, got worse. Got it. Yes, just because the fears. Um, you know, I have two boys, so right. two mm-hmm. toddlers that you know were wanting to jump on couches and climb right. this and climb that, and then my anxiety just became that constant intrusive thought of mm-hmm. something happening to them, mm-hmm. and so it was very debilitating. Yeah, yeah, um, and. To a certain extent, the only way I could communicate that this was an awful experience for me was like yelling at them mm-hmm. because there was this fear behind it. And I didn't really realize that that's what I was doing until after the fact. So then I imagine all the kind of stuff that comes along with that is the unexpressed or, you know, to yourself, the guilt or shame of all of yes. that too. Um, yeah, it just piles on top of itself. It did really feel like it was one thing after the other, after the other, mm-hmm. after the other. And so, like I said, my kids are six and eight years old now. And I can honestly tell you that maybe it was until about three years to four years that about three years, maybe that I finally started to feel like I was regaining myself. Mm. That's um, a long time. That was a very long time. And I remember in that period of time really going into more of a stage of grief where I really felt like I was struggling with trying to accept in my mind the fact that in that point in time, I was telling myself that I had failed my kids. Oh, no. Um, you know, and that I could have been better that I needed to be this other type of mom but you know there was nothing I could have done anymore because I couldn't Mm -hmm. go back in time and change any of that it's so hard yeah after getting getting through it then you have to look back and oh right that's right and it was very painful to have to think about myself in that person you know and how that experience was and what it almost like what I felt it turned me into and just had to come to a place of understanding for myself. And so that's whenever I really started to dig a little bit deeper into grace and, Mm. you know, accepting my own story, right. And owning my own story and really not being afraid to share it. Um, Because the moment I started to share a little bit, Mm-hmm. the more than other moms would say, oh yeah, I've experienced that too. And then so that powerful. started to give me, you know, this sense of like, wait a minute, where were you, you know, <laughs> right. when my kids were born, right. I needed that, you know? Yeah. So it was slowly that I started to, I think that once I was able to accept that I was in that grieving process mm-hmm. and allowing myself to understand that it was okay to redefine myself as a mom, even if my kids were, you know, four and six, or I definitely now feel like I give myself time and space and opportunity to redefine who I am in each stage. That's so cool. (sighs) 
Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm so, so glad freeing, you got to that. I like, feel. Yeah. 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 I mean, it sounds like it was a long and hard journey to get to that space. It was. Right. It was a lot of tears for sure. Yeah. And years of suffering and silence. Yes. And it sounds like very literally it's silence. I mean, it was, it, right. I think the juxtaposition of what happens in our heads, because it's so loud mm-hmm. in our heads. Yeah. Like we're constantly thinking and overthinking and it just feels all consuming, but it's right. what is actually coming out of us when we're in that space is very little. Right. Like, right. yeah, people just don't know. And, it, and then you just feel more alone. Yeah, it definitely felt very lonely, just extremely lonely, I would say. And, you know, now looking back at it, I do a hundred percent believe that if I could change something, you know, just being able to encourage myself to just seek the help, because if I would have had somebody to help me, you know, walk myself into situations where maybe I socialized with other people, or Mm -hmm. I reached out to somebody for help, you know, different things like that, I think that it would have been a different experience, you know, it wouldn't have changed the fact that I would have been experiencing all the symptoms of depression and anxiety, but Mm -hmm. I would have learned to cope through it. Yeah. So any other parts of your experience that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. You know, just today I shared on my social media about this because I had this realization where I was dropping off my kids to school this morning and 
my six-year-old, who was my baby, is like, mommy, I don't want you to drop me off in the class anymore. Because I had really set out to drop them off for as long as I could inside the school. That was just something I wanted to do. And he told me that and almost felt like my heart broke, you know, because I thought, wait a minute. No, like I want to be able to share this moment with you. Mm -hmm. And on my way to the office, I thought, kind of replayed this memory of, you know, when I used to drop them off at daycare as a working mom Mm. and the struggle that came with feeling like I'm not going to be there. But then I also was a stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. And there was a struggle of feeling like I'm here all the time. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like I was able to experience both things and both journeys that we walk through, whether we're a stay at home mom or a working mom outside of the home, it's both of them come with so many different challenges, but Mm -hmm. ultimately it's almost like underlying, it's a similar thing that we struggle with, which is the desire to just be the best mom that we can be for our kids. And I know that when I was going through each one of my journeys, I often felt disconnected from working moms. If I was a stay at home mom, Mm -hmm. or if I was a working mom, I felt disconnected from stay at home moms. And, you know, I can say now that being connected to both brings so much more growth in our life. Yeah. And that really, again, when we're in the midst of it, it's hard to see it, but yeah, there yeah. really is so much that we can do to contribute to each other yeah, in each so one true. of our journeys. That's so true. So true. Yeah. I think a lot of people can resonate with that and identify with that. It's a struggle on either end yeah. and one is not better than the other. Right. They're just right. different, but there's so many commonalities. Like you were saying, there's still the guilt. and <laughs> Oh yes. my gosh, guilt, guilt, guilt all over the place. So yes. Much. Yes. And you were saying too, a little bit earlier, how like if you could change something, you would kind of go back and tell yourself to get the help. Yeah. I wonder from like, if you had heard somebody to tell you to get help, Well, maybe let me ask about it in a different way. Like if you were going to give a mom advice now on how to get help, but also culturally, what kinds of things would a mom who is maybe struggling with the same cultural barriers as you are, how would you tell them or how would you advise them to reach out for help? I think that I do actually, when I work with moms that, you know, are from a similar cultural background to me, I really try to really encourage moms to also see the fact that culturally speaking, we all have different things that pull us and different factors that contribute to what kind of moms we want to be and different things that affect us from our cultural backgrounds. But I think that universally, we all share something in common. Mm -hmm. And it's what I mentioned earlier, which was that we all just really want to be the best that we can be for our kids. And I think that just encouraging moms to also see that it's okay for you to want to feel better in the space that you're in. And so when we want to be the best that we can for our kids, even if that's the perspective we have to take in that moment, that is the universal perspective, right? We all want to be the best mom that we can for our kids, but we get to define what that means. And 
we can still take into consideration our cultural factors, but it's that it's a consideration, right? It doesn't have to define exactly how we do it. And I know that that can be a challenge because doing things differently within our culture can give us the looks or the, Mm -hmm. the judgment, right? But one thing that I find really helped me was with also talking to my husband was making sure that we were both grounded in understanding why we were parenting the way that we were Uh and really understanding what kind of mom do I want to be? What kind of dad do I want to be to my children? And that involved breaking cycles, you know, from our cultural background. That's powerful. There's a lot in there. Yeah. There's a lot in there. I appreciate you bringing that in. That's really, really powerful. It's hard to notice. It that. is hard. It's yeah, hard to deal it is. With that. And not necessarily just culture, but if there is any kind of pattern in your family history, right, culturally based or not, to recognize that you have to do something different and like go basically learn a new skill set, something that mm-hmm. you didn't learn yourself and do that in your family. That's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. But it's so worth it, you know, yeah. just yeah. because it that is, I think that that is the core of the process of redefining yourself as a mom or as a parent uh-huh. in that process. It's, you know, I think it took a lot for me and my husband to, and we continue to work on that. You know, it's every new stage with our kids brings about a new challenge and <laughs> Every single time we have to revisit, like, where is this coming from? And, Mm -hmm. you know, if anxiety is coming along with that, I have to be able to sit down and break it apart and understand, is this really what's going to be best for my child, for myself, for ourselves as a family? And breaking those things apart and changing them Mm -hmm. takes a lot of work. It does. It sounds like you're being so thoughtful and intentional about both your own process and what you're bringing to parenting, which is that's yes. just so beautiful. Thank you. I mean, I have been trying so hard. <laughs> it's a lot of work. Yeah. I can hear that you've done a lot of work here. It sounds like you, how you feel about yourself and just yourself as a parent has gone through its own evolution. Right. To a much right. more maybe balanced or happier space. Yeah, definitely. That's fantastic. I just love to hear... I mean, it's so hard, you know, when you're in it and this transformative process that happens when there's this kind of awakening to like something's wrong and, oh, mm-hmm. there's something I can do about it and I don't have to feel this way. And then getting to healing is just so yes. inspirational every time I hear it. Um, that's, I think, yes. so much for bringing all of that today. No, thank you for the opportunity to be able to share more about this. You know, I think that this is one of the reasons why I want to be able to support other moms in this way, because it's just not an easy journey. And every mom deserves to be able to have the support that they need to be able to get to the place they want to get to as a mom and be able to see themselves within the beauty that they deserve to see themselves in. Because being a mom is just not easy. There's a lot of joys to it, but there's so many struggles within this journey. And we have our lifetime to go with it. (laughs) Right. And I too think the depth that you bring by understanding all these other layers of cultural influence and being able to do therapy in Spanish Mm -hmm. 
Yes. It brings a whole other just layer of depth to somebody's growth who's coming to you and has where you can understand what they're talking about when they're describing their stressors. You understand the context and you can use language that might be familiar to them. It's just so needed. Right, right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, and if I may add to that too, is within the realm of culturally speaking, I definitely think that this has helped me a lot to be able to connect with moms. But I also want to add, you know, that as therapists and just mental health providers, you know, I know that it's hard sometimes to reach out for help and, Mm -hmm. and to accept to somebody that this is something that we're struggling with. But I definitely would want to encourage anyone that's out there listening that, if they are struggling with anything like this and they're in this field, you know, to definitely reach out for help because there's no shame in that. And, you know, I think that if anything, it can give us a whole nother level of growth. Yeah. If we're willing to open ourselves up for it, it's just a whole nother level. And so, you know, it's, we already do a lot in this field and we deserve an opportunity to be able to, take care of ourselves in this way too. Yeah, absolutely. Beautifully said. And again, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to resonate and feel heard and seen because you were able to come on and let us hear you. Well, thank you so much. And I sure do hope that anybody listening feels that there's definitely hope out there because there is. And like we always say, you're not alone. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sure there are so many of you out there who can resonate with Esmeralda's story. And if you know a Latina mother who might be able to resonate with this as well, or maybe has some cultural factors that you know impacted her in her pregnancy or postpartum journey, please share this with them as well. If you'd like to get connected to Esmeralda, she's at pillarsoflifecounseling.com and on Facebook, and on Instagram at POL Counseling. For those of you who are just joining us on the Mom and Mind podcast, please subscribe to this podcast so you can get all of these episodes downloaded straight to you when they come out, and also share. The more we can share this, the more people out there will will know that they're not alone. And here's the thing about perinatal mental health. People don't know they need to know this until they need to know it. So hopefully we can get this information and education out there to people in a way that helps them learn about this stuff before they're blindsided by it. As you can tell from most of our interviews, just having a little bit of information about what's going on for people really helps decrease a lot of the guilt and shame and stigma. And we all have the power to do that by sharing these episodes and sharing information with people that we care about. Thanks so much for being with us. Until next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please share this podcast. Together we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come connect with us at momandmind.com. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. 
but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.